ever heard the saying, um, the old saying that a leopard can never change its spots. Have you ever heard that saying? Um, it's, it's an interesting saying, isn't it? Because the meaning behind it is um, that a leopard is always a leopard no matter what happens. You can't actually um, see something like a leopard change and become something else. And I guess the corollary, whatever that word is, <laughs> um, means that we can't see people change either. I once had the privilege, though, of conducting a funeral for a man named Alf Shaw. Now, Alf was... Um, a guy who had a, a pretty colourful life. He was a boxer, he was a radio announcer, he was a sports commentator, he was even an, an AFL player and an umpire. He excelled in all aspects of his life. In actual fact, he's in the um, Boxing Hall of Fame. He's in the QAFL Hall of Fame. He umpired one of the, um, the finals, the grand finals, in the Sydney Football League. Um, he had his own radio um, shows and hosted this sports program, even on Channel 9. Um, so his well-known personality in his career, he interviewed so many famous people, even Muhammad Ali at one stage. There's actually a park named after him in Strathpine, the Alf Shaw Park. Some of you might know it. Now, Alf was a fairly colourful character, fairly opinionated, as you could well know. He, he was a straight shooter in so many respects. The tagline of his radio show was, I'm Alf Shaw and that's for sure. I mean, it was that sort of guy. He was confident in who he was and what he knew. But he became a Christian when he was 77 years old. And he was baptised at my previous church, at Birkdale Baptist Church. Bev, his wife, said when he became a Christian, he changed. Now, he was still, um, don't get me wrong, he was still opinionated. Um, he was still a little bit of a grumpy old man at times. Um, but his wife noticed a change. In actual fact, at his funeral, she said to me, I want to start coming to church because of the change that she'd seen in her husband. Now, Alf was a, a fairly tough guy. Um, and in his late 70s, he experienced this transformation, a transformation that I'm sure many of his colleagues and friends didn't quite understand. And actually, as they turned up to his funeral that I conducted, many of them were surprised that he'd become religious. Today I want to look at another man who had a fairly surprising transformation. He was a young man, not like Alpha, a young man called Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. Again, I, I think you've probably all heard um, of this guy before, and you've heard probably this story, but I want to I pick out a few aspects of his conversion, of his transformation here this morning, because I think... There's some things here that we often gloss over and we miss, but they're things that are very helpful for us all to be reminded of. You see, Saul was um, a young Jewish man. He was a fanatic of the faith. He was fervent for his faith, and he hunted down people who he believed were heretics of the faith, people who were undermining his Jewish faith, and he was going to deal with them in the only way possible, um, either torture or even death at some points in time. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? It's pretty extreme. And we, we find it fairly difficult for, to imagine that someone could be that fervent for their faith. 
But this was who Saul was. He believed um, that there were these people called the Christians or the, the Jesus followers, the, the people of the way, who were distorting the truth about God. And in Saul's mind, the best Christian was a dead Christian. And so he was active in his aggression against them. If you've got your Bibles there, I want you to open them with me to Acts chapter 9. Because this is the story that we have um, about the conversion or the transformation of Saul. See, the beginning of this chapter sets the scene for us. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This, this was his, his, his goal in life, and he was actively setting out to persecute the followers of the way, the people who were following Jesus. I want us to skip down to verse 10, and I want us to read what happened on the way to Damascus. Actually, let's start verse 3. That's probably where we need to pick it up from. Verse 3, as he, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Now that would have been fairly confronting, wouldn't it have? Um, to, to be hearing a voice, to be seeing a light, um, and then to lose your sight for three days, if you keep reading on there. I think the three days in blindness and darkness would have given Saul a bit of time to think and consider what had happened. And like Alf Shaw, Saul was this confident, zealous, even brash sort of guy. But here, I'm sure he's, sh he's shaken. And in his blindness, this is what we read in verse 10. God was working in Damascus. There was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I love the street's names. Um, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias asks, answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples at Damascus. Bit of a turnaround, isn't it? At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't 
he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learning of their plan, day and no- or, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now when he came to Jerusalem, so he went back home, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. This is an incredible story. Here's a guy, Saul, transformed by God. And there's four things about this transformation that that I want us to note here today, whether you're in the building or online. I want you to pause and to ponder some of these things. The first thing I want you to take note of here is that that God's transformation of people is, is often surprising. See, Saul had a reputation that made him scary. If you're a person who was following Jesus at that time, you should have been scared of this God because Saul was after you. He was trying to persecute you. He was trying to torture you. Um, He was trying to get you to renounce your faith. And when Ananias was told to go and find him, Ananias wasn't too thrilled about that. Did you notice that? The believers in Damascus also were not too thrilled about having him in their presence. They were skeptical. In verse 21, they said, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take us prisoner? Um, There's no way that we would allow Saul to be a part of our community of faith here and, and still have a sense of safety. No way. The Christians in Jerusalem had exactly the same response when Saul went back home to Jerusalem. In verse 26, they'd seen what Saul had been doing and they were sceptical and doubtful of this supposed transformation. See, we find it difficult, don't we, to believe that a leopard can change its spots because we haven't seen many that do. The only way that a leopard can change its spots is through a miraculous act of God. Is that right? Yet isn't that what conversion is? Isn't that what happens when God's Spirit comes and indwells a person? And we sometimes forget that, I think. That God works somehow this this incredible miracle in a person's life to change them into a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. What an amazing thing it is to witness a transformation, a conversion of a person, a new creature being reborn. But you know the challenge of conversion? is that people don't usually lose all their nasty habits. Have you noticed that? 
They don't change their personality necessarily all at the same time. They, they don't necessarily change every aspect of their life. And, and so Saul was still this confident, brash, zealous person that he was beforehand. But it was just that how this was directed was changed. In verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. At once. He didn't wait for an invitation. He didn't wait to be trained in the the new Christian doctrine or anything like that. He just went for it, boldly preaching in the synagogues and meeting places of the day um, amongst his fellow Jews. But now he didn't preach against Jesus. He He preached for Jesus. Instead of arguing against this, this man that people were following, he was arguing and proving the, the person of Jesus. We even read in verse 22 that Saul grew more and more powerful. He baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus actually was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for. Now that was a miraculous transformation, wasn't it? And although people were still skeptical, a real transformation had occurred. You know, sometimes we doubt that God is able to transform some of the tough people we know, some of the hard nuts. Um, We write them off before we give God even a chance to do his thing. We we think they're too bad. They're too far gone. um, They're too far away from God. They're not interested in anything spiritual. And we don't even give them a second thought. Yet, wasn't this what Saul was? He was zealous. He was zealous in all the wrong ways. And I'm quite sure that no first century Christian would ever have thought to try to witness to Paul. They were all too, too busy running and hiding. They weren't thinking that, that Saul was actually a person they could win to Jesus Christ, yet God hadn't given up on him, had he? Who have we given up on? Who, who are we thinking is too hard for, for, for Jesus to reach into their lives and actually bring some sort of transformation? We need to remember, I think, this morning here that God never gives up on people. God never writes anyone off as being too hard, too far away, too much of a lost cause. Because God is able to do mirror, the miraculous, isn't he? He's able to transform people. And that can be surprising. The second thing I want us to notice here today is that God's transformation of people actually has a purpose. You see, when Jesus was arguing with Ananias as to why he should go to Saul in verse 15, he says this. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. When when you think about those words, they are pretty incredible words. Jesus had a plan for Saul's life. And we shouldn't be surprised at that, should we, really? Because um, God never transforms a person without first having a plan for their life. Many of you know Jeremiah 29, 9, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We, we, we love verses like that that speak of the fact that God has plans for each and every one of us. And, and God had a plan for Saul. A, a plan that involved Saul being the voice piece of God. God knew that even before Saul was converted, though, didn't 
didn't he? In his foreknowledge, in his knowledge of all things. And I want to tell you here this morning that God has a plan for your life too. God knows what's going to be achieved in and through your obedience, through your choice to follow him. He does that. He knows that for you. He knows that for me. And that's exciting, isn't it? That God has things that only I can do. God has things that only you can do in service of him. It should make us really incredibly excited. The truth is, though, I think if Paul or Saul knew all the plans that God had for him, he would have probably run a mile. <laughs> he would have been scared stiff. And the same would be the case for you and I if, if we actually understood what God had in store for us, the plans and the life experiences and the like. But I love what we see Saul doing immediately after his conversion. He starts to preach. Now, for most of us, that sounds pretty scary, something that we wouldn't normally get up and do, start preaching. But for Saul, that actually was what he was trained to do. He was a scholar. He had been trained up in, in the Jewish schools to preach, to debate, to talk about God, to tell others about who God... This was what his calling was. This was what his training was all about. And I love it when we become a Christian... Um, God took what was natural and normal to him and just redirected it. It may not be natural for you to be a preacher. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe, maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're an accountant, a shop assistant. Maybe you're a mum. Whatever it is, I don't think God necessarily expects you to do something different, but to shift what you're doing and have a different focus. Saul made Jesus the focus of his preaching. When it wasn't, it now was. I wonder in your life, in your vocation, in your normal day-to-day -day living, what it is that you could do to make Jesus the center of that. Start living for him, start speaking for him, start witnessing for him in whatever it is that you are doing now. You see, that's part of, I think, God's call for our life. God has plans for our life, and they start and they begin where we are right now. We don't have to wait for something brand new, something incredible to come along, a new opportunity. We just need to start living for him, serving him, speaking for him, witnessing for him right where we are. What could you do this week to actually be a Christian, a fervent Christian, where God has placed and planted you. The third thing I, I want us to notice here um, this morning is that God's transformation is, is actually sometimes confusing. It's often confusing, actually. Um, it confuses people who are watching on, looking in. See, when the Jews started to hear this guy Saul that was their poster pinup boy um, start to preach about Jesus, they were confused. They were confused by his behavior. They were confused by his arguments. They, they had Paul as their flag bearer, the person who was violently opposed to um, these people who were following Jesus. Um, but now he seemed to be promoting Jesus. He seemed to be speaking about Jesus at every opportunity. He seemed to be debating with them that Jesus actually was the Messiah who previously, he would have killed the person for saying that. 
This was downright confusing. And the Jews, in numerous instances, tried to kill him. If you've had the experience of God's transforming you, maybe later in life, um, you may have experienced friends and family um, being confused. One minute, um, you were the life of the party. You were drinking. You were, you were getting into trouble at every turn, maybe into drugs. Whatever it was, you were there. Okay? And then when you became a Christian, things changed. Your priorities changed, your, your interests, your activities. You weren't there, um, the first at the, the pub on, on a Friday afternoon, the last one to leave. Whatever it was, something probably changed. See, when God transforms a person, there is always a change. Sometimes it does happen slowly. Sometimes it happens quickly. But for those looking in, it's always confusing. For those of you who have recently come to Christ, I want to encourage you to step into your friend's shoes and seek to understand that confusion, to be patient with them. The confusion sometimes is, is expressed as ridicule uh, or anger that, that, that you're not hanging out with them anymore or, or even rejection. But they're trying to struggle what's going on in your life and, and, and why all of a sudden you've got different priorities in your life. But instead of walking away from them, I, I want to encourage you to actually maintain those relationships, those friendships, taking opportunities to actually journey with them and show them what has happened and why. See, Saul had to flee because his life was in danger, but I, I don't think too many of us have our lives at risk from our friends. So we probably don't need to flee. Okay? For us as mature followers of Christ, I think too often we encourage young Christians to cut off all their connections with their previous life. It's done in an attempt to protect them from the temptation of falling back into that lifestyle. I know that. Um, trying to protect them from bad choices, um, bad lifestyle choices. But that advice is given in love, I know, and concern. But, but I think there's a better way. I think we need to be encouraging of our young Christians, our, our brothers and sisters, to actually help them put some good boundaries in place that would stop them being tripped up, stop them doing things that they would regret later, um, but still enabling them to maintain their relationships because those relationships provide them with unique opportunities to actually share what God has done in their lives. It may be that instead of going to the party alone, they, they take a friend with them who will help hold them accountable and not let them drink until they are under the table. Um, it may be that they choose to meet their friends at a coffee shop instead of the pub or, or something like that. I, I, I don't know, but um, sometimes I think we as mature Christians, we actually um, encourage young Christians to try to isolate themselves from those who are confused, but instead this is a unique opportunity for them to actually show Christ to those that are confused. See, when we're experiencing God's transforming power, the last thing we should do is to try to hide it from other people. Saul actually had an incredible witness to um, the Jews throughout the Roman world because his life had been transformed by Jesus Christ. It was confusing, yes, 
But that led to incredible opportunities to share about Jesus. And so be patient. Live out your new faith, your new life in the presence of those who are confused and allow them time to figure it all out. The last thing I want us to notice out of this passage is and about God's transformation of people is that you know, often it requires grace. We've said already that God's transformation is surprising. Sometimes um, we're skeptical about the change that God has made in a person's life. When we're faced with someone who has just been transformed, we are called to act with grace towards them. Ananias didn't want to go to Saul, but in obedience he did. Did you notice what he said when he met with Paul in verse 17? How he addresses Paul? He calls him brother. What grace. Ananias must have been scared stiff of this guy. Um, He must have been remembering all the murderous things that Saul had done. This guy was an enemy of the Christian faith, but he calls him brother. And to me, that says that Ananias has both forgiven Saul for the things he had done against Ananias' other Christian brothers and sisters, but also that Ananias himself was ready to, to just embrace Saul. Similarly, we read when when Saul went back to Jerusalem, um, he faced rejection from the Christians that were there. They again knew what Saul had been up to. I mean, they had witnessed the execution of Stephen just some weeks before. Um, and, And Stephen was one of their members. How would you feel about embracing someone who had just murdered one of the core members of our church? That would be a pretty hard thing for us to do. But Barnabas, we read in verse 27, took him, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly. See, here we have this one man, Barnabas, who had taken the time to hear Saul's story. And stepped into a place of acting as his advocate. And that tells me a little bit about Barnabas. It tells me that Barnabas was willing to actually forgive Saul. To give Saul a second chance. That's grace, isn't it? That's undeserved favour. See, when Jesus transforms people, how do we respond to them? Do we keep them at an arm's length until they prove themselves? until they stop swearing or until maybe they they have a new wardrobe or until they they jump through some other hoop that we want to set for them? Or, Or do we love them? Do we accept them? Do we welcome them in and include them? See, if we're going to be a church that sees people coming to know Jesus Christ, then it's going to be messy. Human babies make mess, don't they? They poo, they spew, they scream. It's messy wherever there's a a, a little human baby. But when we see a person undergo a transformation, they become a, a tiny little baby Christian. They make mistakes. They think say things that are awkward, that are even offensive. They don't know what the good Christian thing to do is in certain circumstances. And we can either become offended by that 
by the mess they make, or, or we can show grace to them and love them as they grow and mature. I want us to be like Ananias. I want us to be like Barnabas, being the biggest fans of new Christians that come through these doors. Remember that spiritual transformation isn't usually accompanied by a personality transplant. It's not normally accompanied by a a complete change in life circumstances or a relationship makeover or anything like that. The challenges that a, a new baby Christian has may be very apparent, but the great thing is that new life has begun. And that's a cause for our celebration and it's a cause for us to join them in ministering with them. So here's four things that, as I read this passage, a story that's probably fairly familiar to us, four things that I think we can be challenged about. Firstly, God desires to transform people. And sometimes that's surprising, isn't it? Surprising what God can do. But don't, let's not underestimate what God can do. He's the God of the miraculous. So, so keep praying for those in your family, your friends, your workmates, um, your neighborhoods that don't know Jesus Christ, even the tough nuts like Alf Shaw. Keep praying for them. Keep trusting that God is doing something for them. Also remember that God's transformation is always for a purpose. There's a purpose for your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. So my encouragement to you is is to seek God. Follow his lead. and, And you'll be surprised what God wants to do with you and your surrendered life. Thirdly, understand that when God gets a grip on someone, they change. And that can be confusing, particularly to those who don't really understand what's going on. Understand that. Don't force new Christians to cut off um, all their friends, but help them to live an authentic life before those friends. And you'll be surprised at actually what opportunities they have to share the gospel, to minister to Christ, to maybe some other tough nuts. And then lastly, for for those of us who have been Christians for a while, we need grace. We need to practice grace as we we relate to those who maybe aren't as far on the journey as we, who maybe don't have an understanding like what we have or maybe haven't been taught the way that we have. That's okay. God's Spirit is working in people's hearts and lives and is transferring forming them and sanctifying them little bit by little bit. Can a leopard change its spots? Sure can, but it takes supernatural power of Jesus to do it. My prayer is that we see more and more amazing leopards changing their spots in Bracken Ridge Baptist Church. Some might be as a result of a supernatural encounter on a road to Damascus. But more often than not, it's probably going to be through the influence of a friend, a family member, someone who takes the time to walk life's journey with them. That's what we are called to do, I believe. So I want to encourage you all to continue to seek those opportunities, just to share the wonderful story of Jesus with whoever it is that God puts in your path, 
whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be in your neighbourhood, see those opportunities and take them and see what God can do with even those that you have written off. And let's celebrate when we see the transformations. Let's, let me pray and I'll invite the, the worship team to come up and join us again. Um, Lord, we are so thankful for your, your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of miracles. You are supernatural and all-powerful. And Lord, um, it's through your power that, Lord, we have been transformed. We, we now are living in the light of the gospel and the salvation that it brings to us. Lord, that same work that you can do in our life, we know that you can do in others' lives. And Lord, we just want to pray that you would make us willing instruments, the Ananiases and the, and the Barnabases, Lord, who, who would step into that and, and, and cheer on the work that you are doing. Lord, help us never, ever to think that people are outside of your reach. But Lord, to, to continue to pray diligently for those within our circle of influence, Lord, that need to know you. We pray, Lord, for an outpouring of your spirit in their hearts even today, that you'd create a, a yearning and a longing, a desire for something more. But even those tough nuts that we look at and we think they'll never, never give their life to the Lord, they can and they will. And we want to have that faith. So build in us that faith, Lord, that that continues to trust you, even when we don't see any changes happening. Thank you for this simple story. Thank you for Saul and his obedience to you. Lord, the influence he had was incredible. And Lord, we are so blessed because of what he did, but ultimately it was because of what you did in his life. So we just say thank you, Lord. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.